you know, if you're thinking about being a freelancer and it's something you've always thought about, there's never going to be a right time. So just do it and trust your gut, trust your skill set. If you don't have the skills, then there's tons of YouTube, TikTok, IG. There's tons of resources out there to help you build that skill set. Because when you're outside of your comfort zone, that's where you are the happiest and that's where you thrive. New mic alert, new mic alert. I did it, y'all. Got this new Shure, was this SM57 DB, now with DB. I think you can tell that my VO sounding quite crispy. You probably heard my chair noise as well because that's how good these mics are. I don't need an assistant. I just need my Shure 57, was it SM7 and we out here welcome to the rel and friends podcast and we are a podcast dedicated to empowering creative professionals i am very fortunate to have gained a huge community of creatives and everyone has chased their respective dreams Um, but as you know with a lot of creative professionals there's a lot of shared nuances so these discussions are very important lots of insight I am very big on trying to share some money talk. Those are sensitive conversations that are hard to navigate. So I'm going to try to do them for you guys because I wish someone did that for me. Now December is in full swing. I have just gotten back into NYC from my much needed vacation out in the Bay Area and in NYC. It was lovely seeing all the folks out there. But I'm excited to get back to work. I have about five pieces that are in post-production right now that I need to wrap up before the end of the year. But we're going to make that happen. You know why? Because over here, we are the best at post-production. That's right. I'm throwing it out there right now. We're the best. Okay. We're planning out 2024. I have this thing that I want to try. I want to do a series called Artist Storytelling Collabs. Okay, and I need to plan this now for maybe launching in mid-2024. Artist Storytelling Collabs, where me, Rel, cinematographer, videographer dude, collabs with someone else in a different space, in a different creative space. Say you are a singer. The collab could be something as easy as a music video, a visual art piece. It could also be a mini documentary. I'm ready to collab, so hit me up, rel.mov. I think it's important to have these passion projects on the side when we're uh, constantly doing things, creative work for money. Sometimes it becomes not fun anymore. I think these sort of fun projects where you're in collaboration with like-minded people with a shared goal in mind, those are the things that fuel me and keep my creative juices flowing. So hit me up, rel.mov. Let's get some of those going for 2024. Oh, but wait, there's more because there's another way you can get a hold of me. The homie John Reyes podcast producer extraordinaire has set up a voicemail. The voicemail number is 646-926-3885. Okay, so what you'll do is you'll call that. I think it's a Google 
chat line, whatever, you're going to call that. You're going to leave a voicemail asking a question, giving me a shout out, giving your homies a shout out, whatever you want. If it's good, I'm going to play it here on the show. I'll answer any question, address any comments you have, and then we're going to start a new segment. Okay, so that's coming up. But I have also one request for that. Okay, I'm calling out to my community. I'm calling out all of my beat maker homies, my DJs, not my club DJ homies. Shout out to you guys though. My turntablists, my scratch DJs, my homies that really get down on the turntables as an instrument. I need a segment intro for this voicemail because I can't just keep saying six four six nine two six three eight eight five no one's going to remember that we all know through advertising and jingles the way you memorize a line is with some cool jingle so i need one i need a beat i need a little scratch performance something and maybe i'll throw you a little cash you know what i'm saying you need a little shout out you do a little piece i'm down for the exchange i'm down for the barter even if that just means getting paid let's get it all right let's get into some news there's a lot of new gear that has been released as it usually does toward the end of the year but the one thing i want to talk about right now is this dji osmo pocket 3 it's a one of those mini cameras with three axis gimbal and this one has a 4k camera on it I don't know if you've ever seen those, but they have a little tiny screen. It looks like a little selfie stick sort of thing. And then a, a miniature camera lens on top. I have one. I have the first one and I, and I really enjoyed it. The picture quality, it's not the best, but it'll do. I have used it in some bigger projects and it didn't stick out as a lower quality image. It, it fit right in. Higher contrast from what I remembered. So you're going to lose some of those details, but it's a great little camera. I'm thinking of upgrading to this one, although my first one has been shit sitting on the shelf for years, and it's also shitting on the shelf for years, because that's a tongue twister. But I enjoy these little things because I'm not the best gimbal guy. I'm not good at the gimbal walk. Some people have it down. I feel like a gimbal should be doing all the steady stuff. Well, like, Why do I still need to do a walk? If this machine that I paid 500 plus for is supposed to stabilize it for me. These little mini things, they work really well. And you do still have to do a little gimbal walk, but it's more of a cool little chill walk, you know. And gimbals, you got to be dedicated to it. Like you got to be ready for everyone in the room to be staring at you while you do this walk. I don't know, man. When I need the gimbal, I usually hire out. Fine, I'll do it myself if I have to. I'm not the best, I'll admit it. Maybe I'll just buy this. I think I just convinced myself I'm buying this. I'm excited for today's guest. When we find ourselves in a job, especially early on and when you're at a new place, you're trying to figure out like, okay, who's gonna be my work buddies, you know? And you usually end up with one or two or like a little crew of folks that you really identify with, that you have a good rapport with. And today's guest was definitely one of mine. This is Jamie Lai, formerly known as Jamie. 
that's Y-E-E, uh, Bay Area term. But it was me, her, and Brian Tong during our days at... <laughs> that was the little crew. Like, us three together would create a lot of cool stuff over there. I think I probably had like five years on her. We really had the big bro, little sister relationship. She would ask a lot of questions and I would do my best to give insight and guidance and support wherever needed. And what I love about the conversation we had was the roles were kind of reversed this time. She has gone on to become a very credited producer, director, and she still edits, which is a skill set that's hard to find. But she was providing a lot of insight to me and it was one appreciative and then two it was kind of a proud moment for me because i remember jamie when she was very brand new into the video production world and curious to grow and learn more and to get better and to see her accomplishments has been super cool i'm on her site right now it's jamie j-a-m-i-e-w lie l-a-i.com so check her out she has a lot of cool work on here she's done stuff for hampton creek so make sure you check out her work on her website but the conversation we have that you're about to listen to she gives a lot of great insight speaks on being a woman in the creative space and how that impacted her journey but one thing i took away and i hope you do too is that when you have those work homies the work family as they call it take time to appreciate that because a lot of what we had with her and brian tong and our little crew it was a big part of what shaped who i became today and yeah i think with everything we do take that for granted like the folks around us but just really find some time to really appreciate that. Maybe throw out some thank yous and some shouts of appreciation. Yeah, just let them know that they mean a lot to you. All right, without further ado, let's get into this podcast with Jamie. First question, I usually ask everybody, right, when we get started, what is their favorite rap line? But I know you well enough to change the question a little bit. <laughs> what is your favorite Backstreet Boys line? Ooh, that's a hard one. Because, you know, they're very cheesy lines. <laughs> yeah, I know. I guess it had to be probably the classic. I want it that way, right? <laughs> okay, of course, of course. I want it that way. Because I want it that way. Okay, well, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. We were like the little squad at... <laughs> I'm not going to mention the name of where we work together in case later we decide to vent about the place. Right. <laughs> but we were part of the same crew. We would always go to lunch together. It was me, you, Brian, and maybe like another here and there. But us three were the squad. Definitely. I remember we were going to lunch, probably getting some banh mi sandwiches at that little spot. At that least. You yeah, at least. Banh mi spot was mm-hmm. next to Lee's. Yeah, um, it was the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just remember we were on our way there. And then you, out of nowhere, screamed in fear like you saw a ghost. <laughs> and then you ran behind me to use me as a shield. Me and Brian were like super confused. And then we looked down and there was a pigeon. <laughs> and so anyone that knows you knows it's a well-known fact that you are terrified of pigeons. Are you still yes. scared of pigeons to this day? Yes. Flying rats. <laughs> That's pigeons. why I don't think I can live in New York. Ariel, no, yeah, yeah. Too yeah. many pigeons, too many rats. Yeah, rats are way more terrifying than pigeons. I'll tell you yeah. that. Pigeons are cute. I still have the same fear. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not surprised. So let's get into your creative journey. First of all, what is your 
professional status? And what do you do? Currently, video producer slash editor. I do producing on the field, on set, and then I also still do editing. Cool. And then so you're independent right now. What do you find yourself getting more projects for, like producing or for actual edits? If I wanted to find more work, it'd probably be more in editing. Yeah. Because a lot of the producing work, it's like the person that gets the client will just take everything. Like they'll be the director, they'll be the producer, they'll be the coordinator. So a lot of times if I am hired as a producer, it's more like me being on set, helping out the director. Got it. Yeah. And I noticed out of all the positions in a production, the post-production is usually what gets contracted out. And then me being independent as well, finding gigs, a lot of times it's just editing work. I don't know what it is, but yeah, I guess editors are hard to find. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's like the grunt work, right? It's like mm-hmm. after after someone produced something, they just want to pass it on to someone and move on to the next client to handle totally. like production work. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's funny because editing is seen as that grunt work, but it's mm-hmm. to me, it's like the most important part of a production. Yeah, I agree. Because it's like no matter how well it's shot or how poorly it's shot, it'll all come together in the edit. And you can make something shot poorly really good in an edit. And you can make something shot really well, really bad in an edit as well. Mm-hmm. So I never like that. I never like that it's seen as just this like, oh, just put it in a computer and let it make the video. You know what I mean? That's always been frustrating to me. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing to do too is editing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think that's interesting when you say that because now with like IG reels, everyone's like, oh, I can edit. I'll just throw this in. I'll put a little template that they already built in. But that's taking away our craft, right, as editors. It is. We we actually take the time to pick the best shot. Yep, it is. And it's it's also lowering the standard as well. Mm -hmm. Like, Like the era of the content creator I remember like early YouTube days, all these YouTubers just started making videos with a bunch of jump cuts and as an editor, mm-hmm. that's like, that's the cardinal sin. You don't leave jump yeah. cuts in your videos, you know what I mean? But that became like a standard now. But anyways, whatever. So yeah. in a production, what roles can you fill? Definitely producing, producing like on set side and then producing like more logistical and building a crew out, working with the budget, coordination, and then with posts, like post project where you're managing an edit and working with the clients and working with the editor. So I feel like me and you, we've done all three roles. And I've even shot in the past, remember, with the little P2 cameras. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the, the, P2 the running cameras, gun yeah. style. Yeah. Yep, yep, so yep, yep. I feel like I've done enough where I understand all different roles when we're on set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Like when we were working together it was standard for you to follow the production from like ideation to shooting to Mm post-production like you followed it all the way through you did it yourself and the term that they used was a predator calling you a predator which yeah is a term you can't use nowadays because it sounds really problematic (laughs) (laughs) but before the term content creator was made we were essentially doing that you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah so that was really cool yeah you're not doing as much camera work anymore yeah, other than like shooting with my iPhone and putting like an IG reel together for a client, mm-hmm. not shooting on Sony or anything. 
Well, that's cool. Good for you. I have to pick up a camera still. And sometimes yeah. I really don't want to. Like sometimes I contract it out, to be honest, because it's like I got other things to think about. But I'm curious, going back to your days, you went to Lowell, right? In San Francisco? No, Lincoln. Oh, you went to Lincoln. Okay, okay. The rival. The rival. Yeah, sorry. I apologize. Thinking back to your high school days, did you know you wanted to get into video production back then? I did. I mm -hmm. knew actually like in eighth grade. Okay. What was it about video production? It's going to be so stupid. Like, okay, tell me, tell me. I want to know. That's even better. <laughs> you really want to really know what made me want to be in video? Yeah. I watched The Mask from Jim Carrey. Okay, okay. So I was watching The Mask and I loved that movie at the time. And I was like, I think that's what I want to do. I want to make movies or be in video production. I don't know. That movie spoke to me where I wanted to get into production throughout high school. You know, you have areas where it sparks your interest, but I always went back to film and video. So I just stuck with it and my parents were supportive of me. That's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. a very rare thing in our generation it is is. to have parents like support that, you know? Yeah. Well, my dad more so than my mom. My mom wanted me to be like a nurse. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Do you go to SF State? Well, I went to City College and took some film classes there to get a, my associate degree. And then I transferred to state as a cinema major. You took Becca? No, or I film? took cinema. Yeah, film okay, major. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So what was your first job in production? Did you go through the internship ranks? I did. Yeah. What was your early positions and what did they have you doing? I interned for the San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival, but they call it CAM now, Center for Asian American Media. I was a box office intern. So anytime someone bought tickets for the film festival, I processed it. Okay. And then second year, I interned for them again. And I was a PR intern. And that was really cool because I got to see how film festivals work. Because I put the media kits together for like people that came, like Chronicle. All of them would come and pick it up and I'd hand it to them with all the films. So they got to view it before the film festival started. So that was cool for me to see the PR side. And I got a glimpse of like, oh, this is how the operations work. Once you make a film, you put a little press packet together so that it goes to all the outlets. Um, yeah, those were like my two starts at the industry. And then from there, you were able to get a job and move around. From there, I actually got a job through my college teacher my professor referred me to a little tech magazine company she's like hey they need an editor are you interested and I just took it it was my first job so after college I never got that summer to relax because I went straight into working for that little tech magazine and that's how I started with tech. oh and then you got into tech yeah what was the mm -hmm. name of the magazine red herring Oh, you. Yeah, it was a pretty big magazine company back then in the 2000s. They're still around, yeah, right? I think so. I haven't checked. Ever okay. Since. I kind of know your career path and I know yeah. the industries you are in. So we worked together in tech journalism and then you went on to sports. You did a lot of sports video and broadcasting and then you went to these independent outlets. And we stayed yeah. in contact the whole time and there was a lot of times where you would call me for like tips or advice or just to like talk about situations you're having. Can you speak on being a woman in these very male dominated industries? First of all, tech 
in our generation, it's different now, but in our generation is very white male. That's pretty much what it was. And in sports, I imagine it's male. I don't know if it's mostly white, but I know it's definitely more male. Can you touch on like how you felt in those industries? Yeah, I think with tech, it was a little different because like if we're talking about our team that we're on, it was pretty diverse, right? But I guess if you break it down to me being one of the only editors that would shoot and produce and do everything, yeah, then that would be like one of the few people on our video team. It was definitely a little intimidating just being in tech, but I feel like the tech industry was very like open and I don't want to use the word dorky, but it's dorky. It's more like, <laughs> it's like more accepting, right? Cause yeah. you have all these characters you meet, you have all these editors you've worked with that have their little quirks. Yeah. So I feel like that is easier to like step into. Yeah. It didn't bother you. It's just like, whatever, right. there's a bunch of dweebs. Yeah. And I never felt disrespected from them. Yeah. Of course, sometimes they push back because they see not only am I a woman, I'm a minority too. So there were times where it was a little challenging to like have them take my advice. Like, hey, I think that you should do it this way because it'll look better on video. So I did feel like some pushback with that. But in general, it was like a pretty positive experience. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and then when I stepped into sports, that was like a whole new world. It was almost like night and day because with our company, it was like very much felt like a family. And then with sports, it felt like every man to themselves. Yeah. Was it bro-y? Like were you super bro-y atmosphere? Yeah, it was very yeah. bro-y. It definitely felt like a boys club. And like you said, it's very dominated with, you know, white males. Mm -hmm. So that was hard for me stepping in as the small Asian girl, right? Yeah, yeah. I know you were looking forward to both of these jobs. It was for two very big sports teams in the Bay Area, which is kind of narrowing down where you were. But you were a fan. You used to talk about these teams all the time. So was it heartbreaking that you thought you're entering? I mean, I'm sure it was. But can you explain what that feeling was like leaving? <laughs> oh, sorry, I said leaving our <laughs> job and then going into an industry where you thought was going to be the dream job. But then it felt a little different. Yeah, I think anytime you have something that you love and feel passionate about and you're like, wow, I get to make this my career. You're like, I hit the jackpot, right? You're like, it's a dream job. And then once a month settles in, you're like, this is not how I envisioned it at all. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I should feel happy because anyone that would be in my position should feel thankful to be with this company. You know how there's that saying, don't make your career your passion? Mm -hmm. It's kind of tainted. Mm -hmm. So that's how I felt a little like my love for that felt tainted because I knew too much, like too much behind the scenes. Like you knew the operations too much and it just, it didn't feel the same. Like ignorance is bliss, right? Yeah. Did that really have an effect on you even wanting to support the teams that you worked for? No, I still supported them and wanted to root for them. I think it was more like when you watch it again, it's like you just know too much. So it takes away the love that you once had, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Like if you were, for example, like an Apple lover, right? And then mm -hmm. you worked for Apple. I'm sure yeah. that would change mm -hmm. your perception on the company. I know someone that company. had that exact same path. Like yeah. super Apple yeah. fanboy, got a job there and now just... And left within like six months because I just couldn't stand it, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I've had a similar thing where you step into a situation where it's supposed to be your dream and it just ends up not being what you expected. And even like for me, it was just like, it's probably like the worst situation I ever had. Yeah. What mm -hmm. I've noticed is a lot of those really sought after cool jobs are usually not the best situations to be in. And a lot of times it's because so many people want it that they can easily replace you. You know, if like if you don't fall under the way they want it done, then it's just like you'll just be replaced. Yeah. Any specific experiences in the sports world that jump back at you are a time where you're just like, yeah, this is it for me. I'm done. Yeah, there's definitely a lot where I felt like I don't belong here. Like I'm trying to prove myself, but like how many more times do I have to prove myself that I belong here and that I do have the skill set to be successful there was definitely like a few situations where we were at like a training camp and, you know, you always have to film the PR, the post interviews. And I remember trying to like get in there with my camera because I'm trying to get a good shot, especially because I'm representing that company. And I literally had to like push my whole body and like squeeze in and nobody moved for me. Like it was all white men. And they just looked at me like, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I'm trying to do my job and I had to get a shot. And I literally remember having to use my body to push through because no one would give me any space. And I was like, is this how it's going to be all the time? That's frustrating. Yeah. So there's definitely times like that, even walking into like the cafeteria and being literally the only woman and the only minority in there. I think that was where I realized like, maybe this isn't for me because I don't feel like I belong. When you said feeling like you had to prove yourself, was it prove yourself in production or prove yourself like you know all the sports stats and you know like every player? Was it that or a little bit of both? It was a little of both because that's our job. We're required to like know everything. Mm -hmm. And then with the production side, like definitely had questions asked where it was like I was being tested. Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do that? Mm -hmm. So just testing my knowledge and not treating me as one of them. Like I never asked you, hey, Ariel, do you know how to do this? Right. It's like we always supported each other. And whenever we had a question, like we always asked each other and wouldn't be condescending about it. Or there's a tactical way to say it, right? If you're trying to help a coworker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the term code switching? No. What is that? Code switching is like when you enter a room and, and you kind of have to change the way you talk and act. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? To, yeah, to yeah, communicate yeah. with the people around right. you. Right. At our tech journalism place, I felt like I had to do that a lot because it was more of a corporate environment and, you know, the corporate okay. speak. I mean, luckily I had folks like you and BT and we had our little crew where I could be comfortable, but like, Anytime it was like a meeting or talking to an executive, I felt like you had to put on that language. Did you ever feel like that at all? Or were you just kind of like, this is me, take it or leave it? I feel like with our tech job that we worked at, I didn't have to try so hard to switch. Like, yeah, of course, when it was like us three at lunch, then it's like we could really be ourselves. But if it was like in a meeting with the execs, then yeah, we would have to like talk a certain way versus when we were at lunch, we would use like the word hella or yeah, yeah, yeah. But we would never use that during a meeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
until BT came and he just started doing a little too much. <laughs> I'm going to interview yeah, him like, in two weeks. So I'm going to bring all nice. that up. Yeah. yeah, he just was unfiltered. Yeah, it was a little too far. It kind of made me uncomfortable, uh, yeah. which I will get into when I talk to him. So I understand being a woman in these spaces. And then you have kids. I know you, you now have two beautiful children. How did that change things? That was really hard. As independent freelancers, we don't really talk about that. It's kind of like grind it out, feast or famine, do what you have to do. And if you pass on a client, then you lose that client, right? Yep. Because then they're just going to go to somebody else. So that was hard to kind of get back up. And then when you're a mother, we don't get paid leave. Our paid leave is on our own time. We don't get paid at all. So that was hard to jump back in. But I think just having other friends to support you and look out for you, like, hey, so-and-so is looking for an editor. I think definitely leaning on your networks during that time. For sure, for sure. That's what got me when I went independent as well, was my network. Yeah. Being a working mom, what do you prefer? Do you prefer being independent or working for a company? I think where I am right now in my life, where they're still so young, I prefer being independent because then I could set my schedule like, oh, okay, I'm going to work for two weeks straight and then I'll have some downtime to pick them up early or hang out with them after school versus just like picking them up and turning the TV on because you're trying to meet a deadline. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I'm the same exact way. Like, I, I don't think I'll ever go back to a job after going independent and having control of my own time. I'm, I yeah. don't think I'm ever going back. It's hard, right? There's a lot of benefits, though. There's a lot of benefits to having yeah. a nine to five, you know, but definitely. Yeah, I'm independent. So I'm yeah. keeping it that way. All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I got to take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, post-production, post very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says, we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative, send them my way. I promise you'll be the hero. You'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones. Hit me up, rel.mov on IG. Chances are I have a video that you need already. Let's talk it through. All right, back to the program. All right, so let me jump into the first segment that I call For the Love of Money. So For the Love of Money is a segment that I use to hopefully help encourage transparency around money talk within the creative community. For you, I want to ask, when you were in these positions at a job, did you find it difficult pushing for promotions or raises? Mm -hmm. Yeah, all the time. And I'm sure we've had lunch breaks where we're talking about it, Yep. where we just feel like we're stuck and we want to do more. Like, what does it take to do more? And I remember even asking our boss, can I take motion graphics class? Because I wanted to enhance my skills to, like you said, to deserve the raise or the promotion. Mm -hmm. And I think 
as Asians, we always have trouble asking for more because we were taught to be content. Just be thankful for what you have, thankful that you have a job. Don't ask for more. So I think growing up, that's the mentality we have. And it was hard for me, even to this day, to talk about money or to talk about rates. Yeah, totally. Now as a contractor, how do you determine your rates? Because people don't talk about that. So when someone asks me what your rate is, how do you go about that part? Yeah, I used to think that it should be like one set rate for everything. And then I realized every client has different needs, right? Then it's like starting to work with the client's budget, but also not selling yourself short. I've just started asking my close colleagues, like, instead of asking like, hey, what do you charge? Maybe ask, hey, what's the rate nowadays? Mm -hmm. That way they can give you a range. And then you know that you're in that range and you're charging a competitive rate. Yep. Did we ever have that conversation? Yeah, we did. Remember we talked about it because I think, like you said, we don't talk about it enough, especially like women, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember any other women asking me like to talk about it. But now I think it's more common because when I built crews in the past and I'll reach out to five people, they all have the same rates. So they're all now like, yeah, they're all sticking to the rates because they know. So I think we have to do that more because it's like we're all working together. Yeah. But I know sometimes as independent contractors, people are like, I'm not going to tell you or they want to keep it more private. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so let me ask you this then. So when you're putting together a crew and you're hiring out, what would you say is the general range for a camera or a DP for a full day? The budget I've worked with is anywhere from for a DP and camera off, right? Uh Together or separate? I would say together because that's probably like the higher camera role. Yeah, Yeah. so together anywhere from 1,000, which is like the low end. Mm Mm-hmm. To like two thousand, okay, and even three thousand after gear, right? Because oh, they if all they include their pack- gear, okay. yeah, they all package it all a cart. Like, oh, you want the gimbal or you want the tripod or it, mm-hmm. it all gets. So they start with like a lower base and then they build up. So mm-hmm. I feel like so they add in for the gear that they bring. Yeah, okay. some on the lower range like eight fifty, mm-hmm. but I feel like here in the Bay Area, it's kind of starting a thousand. Yeah. And I think also when you're a little more senior, you have the leverage to ask for a little bit more. Uh Okay. This is great insight. So for a lighting person, what would you generally pay? Grip and gas. Yes. They're like in the 750 to 850 range. Okay. And then for sound? Sound is really expensive. All the operators I've reached out to, they all have the same rate. Because like I said, they all talk to each other in the Bay Area. Sound anywhere from like 1500. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like the standard. And if you want to add like a slate, they'll add that on too. Like a digital Ooh. slate, they add. Oh, oh, just a little clap. Yeah, with the time code running, some sound ops charge extra for that. Damn, like how much more? <laughs> like maybe 100, 150. It's, okay. Yeah, I have to look at the breakdown. I guess that's but- fair. That's fair because those things are expensive. Yeah, I feel like sound is one of the more expensive ones because there's not that many, right? I'm sure in New York, you know, like probably three to five people that constantly get booked. No, I mean, I still talk to the same sound guys that I've worked with. It's hard to find someone to do sound. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, at least, my network is mostly like 
camera and editors. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's funny also because it's well deserved. Like I would never undercut a sound person because it's such an important yeah, part that's of the production. Everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the one thing I've noticed when I have had to put together crews, sound is one of the first place they'll cut corners on. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah, definitely. Like a client will be like, can't the cameraman just plug in a mic? Exactly. And sometimes it does have to be cut because they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. But for us, where we know like the production side, sound is everything. Like it's mm-hmm. probably more important than picture because if you have crappy audio, it's like the ear is not as forgiving. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Oh, man, thank you for that insight. One thing I just learned is that I can charge a little bit more than I'm charging right yeah. now. <laughs> I thought I was on the high yeah. end, but what you're telling me is uh, I need to yeah. charge more. Thank you. And I think, again, it's like us being minorities, it's like, are we charging enough? There was an article I read before where it's like, we think we're charging a lot. And then when you ask someone else, you realize you're selling yourself short. Yeah. Coming from a place where we filled all the positions, I always do kind of like a bigger flat rate. And I'm just like, oh, wow, I'm asking for a lot here. So I think it's fair. But when I break it down, I'm filling like four positions at once. You know what I mean? So I could charge that, Mm -hmm. which I hate doing. I don't even like doing that. I'd rather like hire out individual people. Some people just want that one man band, you know, uh, because they're trying to save money. Um, Yeah. All right, so do you own any gear yourself right now? Like, what production stuff do you own right now? I actually don't own any gear. You have a laptop? I only just have a laptop and Premiere when I need to. You pay for the Adobe Suite? or do yeah, you, yeah, I do. Okay. I do. Well, just for Premiere because that's all I need. Yeah, and I have Canva, but Canva has a pretty good basic free package mm-hmm. that I use, like mm-hmm. if I need to make graphics for something. Okay. So when you get hired for a production, they need to provide cameras if you're doing camera or uh, or yeah, any other. Or I gear. actually hire a camera operator, and then I'll add that into the budget. If you need camera, this is the breakdown, and then here's producer, editor. Cool. cool. Yeah, I don't shoot anymore, really. Just like for social reels, like with my phone. Did you ever own a camera? I don't know if you ever did. As far as I, I did have a Canon seven D. But okay. that's like ancient now in yeah, I know. production I world. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think we had that same camera. I loved that camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I took it out like not too long ago and it still shoots good. Oh, yeah. Just, it still looks good. It know? still shoots 1080. Yeah, it it'll, still looks it'll look good. Really good. Okay. So you fill many roles in the production. What is your favorite? I think definitely a producer role is my favorite because I like being behind the scenes, working with the director, or if I'm the director, sometimes. I just like being there, like being on set, helping the talent. I feel like I do a good job making the talent or host feel comfortable. So that's definitely one of my favorites, and just seeing the crew work together and seeing the Mm -hmm. set come to life. Do you have your go-to people that you call when you have to put together a crew? Yeah, after working for the small production company, it helps me get to know a lot of the Bay Area crew. And it's really tight knit, like I'm sure in New York, everyone knows everyone. And for me, like the most important thing when putting a crew together is like, are they good people? For me, that's like really important. Like, yeah, you can be really skillful, but are you pleasant to work with on set? So for me, that actually comes first. Like, how are you with people? Are you a good team player or are you just kind of a one-man band where you come in you do what you have to do and that's it of course they have to be skillful of course of course but you know like 
talent is not hard to find nowadays. Mm-hmm. Especially people that shoot really well. Like, I feel like everybody's a good camera person now, you know? Yeah, so, especially so now it goes with beyond iPhones. that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like, everyone has had their hands on a camera. Like, the accessibility mm-hmm. part is not there anymore. Everybody yeah, has a camera. It's not. So, it's just a matter of if you have a passion for it and then if you have an eye for it, like, the talent is there. So it goes beyond that. So you're looking for more people that are just good people and that you vibe with on a set. So say you got a new camera person or lighting or grip or sound person. What's some things that they would do or that people have done in the past where you're like, you know what? I'm going to hire this guy again or this gal again. I think like being respectful of the set, right? Because I've been in sets where someone will step in and they're not the director. I'm sure you've been in those situations where it's like, hey, let the producer, let the director do the talking because then that just confuses the talent because they don't know what to get direction from. I know everyone's trying to help and deliver a good product at the end, but I think also just being respectful of the set and everyone's roles and then also making just the whole environment comfortable, like from when you roll in your gear to when you strike, like how do they carry themselves? Are they complaining that we're running long? Are they complaining that we didn't go to lunch yet? Are they complaining that, you know, so it's like all that shows. And when your attitude is kind of like a downer that carries on to like the talent and the whole crew feels that energy. Yeah, totally. Totally. I just dealt with that where someone like jumps in over the director. I was actually directing a shoot. Yeah. my camera guy on the side started asking questions, right? When I'm supposed to be asking questions. And, right. And they were decent questions, but then all of a sudden the talent started looking this way, you know, because they're looking at them right. answering the questions. So I think what people don't understand is like you feel like you're contributing to the shoot when actually you're kind of messing everything up, you know? Mm-hmm. So totally. the best way to go about that is go to the director and be like, hey, you should maybe ask this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyways, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you touched on that. Okay. And then another question, what are some things that have happened where you were like, okay, I'm never hiring this person again? There's definitely like times where, you know, when you're a producer and you're working with the editor, it's like a close relationship. And during COVID, it's like a lot of that happened virtually. And so you're trying to leave all these notes like on frame or through text and a lot of it gets lost. and I know as an editor, sometimes that could be frustrating when you see all these notes from a producer because we've been on that end where we're the editor. So I feel like for me, I'm really careful with that and how I deliver the feedback. But there's just some editors that take it to the heart and kind of flip out. Like, I already did this or I already went through the shots. But I'm like, no, you didn't because I went into the footage and I found like a better shot. Yeah. So it's like that was probably one where I'm like, I don't think we would work well together Mm. because you're not taking my feedback constructively. Instead, you're kind of, yeah, you're like throwing it on me like it's my fault. Or, you know, they turn it around like, well, you should have said this. I think that's always hard. Yeah. I've been on both sides of that. Yeah. I've been on both sides too. So I definitely understand both sides. My last interview was with my friend Cheryl. She's an art director. And we had this discussion about giving feedback and being in a creative field, being an artist, you put a lot of yourself into what you do. Yeah. So to hear that it wasn't good enough, it gets to you. Mm -hmm. So approaching how you give feedback, it is a big part of being a lead in a production. But I also think as 
an editor or as a contractor in general, you need to be prepared to receive the feedback and even be ready if it sounds harsh, but just don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. But right. when we were working together, I, that happened a lot to me. And we had the higher ups that came from more traditional like news backgrounds and mm-hmm. they were pretty harsh with the way they gave feedback. Mm-hmm. I think a good way to approach it is just don't fall in love with what you're doing too much, you know, which sucks because yeah. you want to really love what you do. But just remember that, you know, when you're contracted, you're fulfilling someone else's vision, not your own. You exactly. Know what I mean? That was great advice to hear. Also, being a woman in the creative space, when you do offer feedback, sometimes it's there's not as much weight because they see you as a woman. Mm. So it's again, it's like having to prove yourself that you been there before and it's like why do I have to tell someone I used to edit like why can't they just take my feedback so it's like again being a woman you have to prove yourself oh this person actually knows what they're talking about but it's like do I have to remind them why can't I just give feedback because I do know what I'm talking about yeah right. so there's been times where there's a lot of mansplaining like when I'm giving feedback they'll throw it back and be like oh well you should add the creative specs the creative specs is blah 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 and I'm like I know what creative specs mean Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that's just an example oh that's frustrating yeah yeah I admit I I don't get that as much like the whole mansplaining (laughs) thing yeah you're a woman you're an Asian woman and also your personality is very chill very kind And people Mm -hmm. take that as weakness a lot of times. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's unfortunate because those are the people you want to work with the most, you know. But Mm -hmm. it's easy to get taken advantage of or for people to do mansplaining and stuff. Okay, so the next segment I want to get into is something I call scope creeps. Yes. Me again. And I'm back. So a scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectations or deliverables increase over time without any conversation about money or time compensation. Do you have any of those scope creep experiences that you would like to share? Yeah, like a similar one when I was with my production company. Luckily, we had a team to support each other because it's easy to get taken advantage when it's just you and the clients asking for more. And for us, like being yes people, right? It's like, oh, no big deal. I'll add this reel for you or I'll do it in nine by 16 and 16 by nine and I won't charge extra. I'm guilty of doing that. I've had that happen too. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't put it in your statement of work, you can't really Mm -hmm. protect yourself because the client will be like, oh, well, you didn't mention it. So why can't I add it on? There was one client where they had a vision and we went and shot the video. And after production, they were like, this is not what we want. They did a whole 180, changed the whole creative treatment. And me and my producer, we had to go back to the drawing board and come up with something completely new. Like it was a completely new concept and it dragged for a couple of months, but Luckily, like we pushed back and did say we do need to charge more because this is not what we agreed upon. And they were understanding about it. But I think, again, being independent freelancers, we do have to remind ourselves that if we don't outline everything, we could get taken advantage of. And it's partly like miscommunication on our end because I've Mm -hmm. done it before. Yeah. 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 yeah, Yeah. yeah. Sure. And one thing I'm learning, I've only been independent for three years. I've done contract work for a long time. Yeah. But I am learning it's really that pre-production part 
that can help yeah. avoid that scope creep. So here. over asking, over communicating what is wanted usually helps. And I think a lot of times clients don't even really know what they want either. They're kind of exactly. leaning on you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have to be a combination of the producer and the educator in a way. Like, okay, where, mm -hmm. where's this video going to live? On YouTube? Or like, oh, we're going to text it on the phones. Like, okay, then you need a vertical video. It's just really going through things like that can help yeah. avoid that. In an edit, what's the most revisions you've ever had to do? Oh, man. Just the splash one. I'm not even done, actually. I'm still waiting on some assets because we don't count the revisions we do for ourselves before we send it to the client, right? Mm. They don't see that. They see what the they internal think revisions, yeah. Yeah, they think mm -hmm. it's just V1, but yeah. little do they know it's like V8. Like you've done eight cuts of that before, it looks good to send the first cut to the client. So there's times where it's like 10 plus revisions. Sheesh. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Yeah, I've definitely done like 15 to 20 revisions. Yeah. And you know who that was from? Brian Tong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brian yeah, was the revision funny. king. He was. Every little frame he counted. <laughs> oh, my god! You can tell him that. Like, I'm it going went to. Down to the, it went down to the frame with Brian. Yes. yes. And I think that's why we were such good friends, but we're such good friends. We argued like brother yes. and sister when yep. it came to creative decisions mm -hmm. and he literally told me to fix something down to the frame like yeah. hey can you move this three frames over yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. you know he edits all his own stuff now yeah because he has a really good eye yeah and it's like he sees things that you would think a normal eye would miss mm -hmm. but not for brian yeah he's everything <laughs> everything every little like, thing man we're doing a goofy <laughs> skit just calm down yeah, down to the frame. Down to the frame. I'm definitely going to bring that up when I talk yeah. to him. It's going to come in yeah. a couple weeks. I will represent both of us in that conversation. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we're coming towards the end. I'm just going to ask a, a few rapid-fire questions. First, what does the next five years look like to you? I hope to do more meaningful stuff where I'm like helping out the community, the Asian community, bringing more awareness, helping businesses where it's like nowadays everyone's using video as marketing. And I always liked the marketing side of things. So anywhere I can help, even if it's doing a simple IG reel for them or helping them build their brand. That's something I'm interested in doing for the next five years. Cool, cool. And we're overdue to work on something together. So if there's any productions yeah. out there, I'll definitely keep you in mind. You keep mm -hmm. me in mind. It's good to know that you've found your place as a producer. So I'm going to yeah. hit you up sometime. And it takes the burden. Like for all the directors out there, it's worth it to hire a producer because it takes the burden off you. Because, you know, the night before a shoot, it's like you can't even sleep. You're thinking about mm -hmm. a million things. Mm -hmm. But when you have a producer that's going to handle even the run of show or logistics, you feel that much more confident stepping in to a shoot. So I yep. think people don't realize that because they want to take it all on. And I get that because it's like you said, us as creatives, we want to do everything from start to finish. But I think asking for help and knowing like, oh, it's okay to take a step back and not produce because I'm going to focus on DPing or I'm going to focus on just this. So. Yeah. I did a, a pretty big production earlier this year, still in post right now, but we went to a few cities and we were shooting and we didn't have budget for a sound person or a producer. Mm -hmm. Or we had a producer, yeah. but they were remote, which made things a little bit harder. 
Oh. And there were several days where we didn't eat lunch until 6 p.m. We forgot yeah. to call someone. We were late several times. And that kept stressing, like, see, we need a producer on set every time. Man. Mm -hmm. So great advice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get someone to manage logistics, assist the talent, keep mm -hmm. time check, all yep. that. Time check's a big one. Time check's a big yeah. one. If you could say anything to the young you, what would it be? Besides reciting lyrics from your favorite boy band. <laughs> I think to say no more, right? Because there's like the power of saying no. It's like when you say yes to everything, you're not setting a boundary for yourself and what you're not capable of doing. Because we tend to just take on so much that we're just used to saying yes. And I think pushing back and being more confident and saying, no, I don't have the capacity to do this right now. Can you pass it on to someone else? Um, that's something I would have told my younger self. Yeah, yeah, great feedback. I've just been in the position recently to where I can do that because, you know, as a contractor, right. sometimes you don't want to turn down money. Yeah, exactly. But luckily I landed a few pretty great gigs early on in the year where I could say no to this one particular person that I can't stand working with. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, saying no and get yourself in a position where you can say no to things. Yeah, because if you say yes when you don't want to do it, you're just not going to feel good about going into whatever you do in life. So saying no is you doing yourself a favor from future stress, future anxiety. Like you said, if you don't like working with that person, it causes more anxiety and stress. So put yourself in the position where it's okay to say yep, no. Yep, yep. It's a good first goal. Like work to yeah. get to a place where you can say no to people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then next question, AI, do you fear it or do you use it? fear it because <laughs> yeah, I yeah, think okay. it's going to take away our jobs remember yeah. even I think early on we always talked about oh robots are going to take over our jobs as editors so I do fear it I've seen some cool stuff though through AI but I think it's something I think the creative space should be kind of fearful of like especially with being a graphic designer right you've seen all those like art that AI pushed out where they mimic like Banksy or whatnot. So it's mm -hmm. scary. Yeah, it's definitely something to question. But I will say with every new technology, artists do evolve. Uh, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they were talking about AI and they brought up a good point that when the first photographers came out and cameras started happening, like painters hated it because painting was all about realism and, and painting yeah. real looking things to look back on. And then cameras eliminated that. But what happened was we still see realist paintings. They're still out there. Mm -hmm. But now paintings can be something completely different. So people got more creative because of that. So, yes, fear it. Like, I think that it will eliminate some jobs. But I think new jobs will open and there's room to be a lot more creative. But it's scary. You're right. Yeah. Imagine those Boston Dynamic robots having AI. That's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and it can happen tomorrow. I think it's scary. But like you said, embrace it, right? Because yeah. we're at the age where we're like not the younger kids anymore. Yeah. And maybe we have to be more open with AI. I definitely see what you're saying. Can't be the old people like, you know, <laughs> exactly. uh, we, like, we did all analog. Four by three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Four when, with <laughs> when they wanted four by three and we were like the 16 by nine kids yeah, 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 yeah. So... And then, and then I remember vertical started happening. All the old guys uh -huh. hated vertical video, and 
yeah, it's, there's going to be triangle video one day and I'm going to fight back. Oh on that. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any, um, so you mentioned earlier that you read some books on how to approach some things or be in the freelance world. Any resources you could give people that want to be independent in this game? Yeah. There's a really good person I follow. His name's the Chris Doe. I knew you were going to say Chris Doe. <laughs> Chris <laughs> no, yeah, and yeah. Dio. Yeah. I yeah, follow so him too. So I stumbled upon him, I think through just like the suggestive content. And I was like, oh, this guy's really good because he's looking out for us, right? No one ever looks out for freelancers. And just from all his content, I've gotten a lot of good advice just for us as being like an independent contractor. And he gives good feedback. And he's a good person to follow. Yeah. He is the reason why I'm starting this podcast because he has. Oh, wow. Yeah, he has his own podcast, which is where I heard the AI thing. And then he does his own like live sessions and stuff like that. And my next goal is to get in a position where I can be very selective with which contract work I pick up and I'll have a sustainable brand that can like make money on its own. So I don't have to take every project that comes to me. You know what I mean? And he, that's right. the path he did. He doesn't even do contract work anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's all his He's own. He's more brand. like a speaker now and helps yeah. brands build yeah, yeah, their yeah. businesses. Yep. Totally. Totally. So yeah, great resource. And my final segment of the show is called drop a gem on them. Once again, Once again. If you can get drop any knowledge to the listeners out there, what would it be? You know, if you're thinking about being a freelancer and it's something you've always thought about, there's never going to be a right time. So just do it and trust your gut, trust your skill set. If you don't have the skills, then there's tons of YouTube, TikTok, IG. There's tons of resources out there to help you build that skill set. Because when you're outside of your comfort zone, that's where you are the happiest and that's where you thrive. Great advice. Great advice. And you're right about the resources. They're everywhere. Remember when there was no YouTube? <laughs> like, I can't even imagine a time without YouTube now or a Google yeah. or something, you know? I know. Um, so, yeah, take advantage of every tool you have because the resources are out there for sure. You got something else? Yes. Creative people need time to sit around and do nothing. Mm. As a mom, um, when do you get that time? I think just like when the kids go to bed and you're kind of just relaxing, you're unwinding and we need breaks to be creative, right? You can't keep going and going. When you're not doing anything, that's where you get ideas or you're going out for a walk. You're like, oh, maybe I should try this. Great advice. I would find myself overworking sometimes, but you're right. As soon as the kids go to sleep, I'm sparking one up and uh, enjoying my time by myself. Exactly. You need to relax and unwind. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you very much, Jamie. If anyone wants to uh, follow you, check out your work, where they can they do it? They can just go to my IG at Jamie W Lai L A I. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. They could DM me with questions if they have any. Oh, hit the DM. Hit Jamie's DMs. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks. For questions. And yeah, yeah, for questions only. Okay. Yes. Thanks, Ariel. <laughs> Good talking course. to you. Good talking to you, too. And that was it. I really hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Again, it was great catching up with Jamie. It was just a reminder the folks that you keep close to you, you keep them close for a reason. So appreciate that. And as we wind down the end of the year, 
find a way to show that appreciation. This podcast is that for me. So I'm not doing anything else, guys. Okay, you're my friend. And before we go, one more time, I got to shout out the voicemail. Make sure you give us a call. 646-926-3885. That's my attempt at making a jingle. Not very good. So I need my professionals out there to send me something new, please. Okay. Uh, Send a voicemail. We'll play them on the show. Answer any questions or find the answer. If I can't answer it, I will call someone and find the answer for you. If I feel like it, we'll see. But I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the year. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Rel and friends. We'll see you next time. Peace.